Hello and welcome back to another deep dive episode of the Final Third Podcast. My name is Jack. I'm a Minnesota United fan, Chelsea FC fan, Atlanta BC fan, French national team fan, and U.S. men's national team fan. And I'm joined here with AJ. Yeah, I'm AJ Tabura. I'm everyone's favorite Minnesota United, West Ham United, and United States national team fan. I did wake up at 3.30 a.m. this morning. <laughs> Just to watch the U.S. women's national team get beaten to a pulp by Sweden. So I'm not feeling too great right now. I am a little bit tired. But Jack, how are you feeling on this uh, Wednesday evening? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I actually just had some family over the past two days. And I also went to uh, I'm not sure if you've heard of it in Minnesota, but the world uh, or I think I think they call it the world's largest candy store, Minnesota's largest candy store. Yeah, yeah. Whatever it is. But it's cool. And I got a lot of British candy that I really like. So that's good. Nice. Nice. Did you happen to drink some water to wash that down? I did drink water. Yeah. All right. So so you're doing you're doing better than at least Atlanta United players right now. Yeah, I am. Yeah, (laughs) I I am a big fan of hydration. We know that uh, Gabrielle Heinze. Is not a fan of hydration. Allegedly, 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 there are, allegedly. There are some, you know, different reports going here and there. You know, this he said, she said situation right now about mm-hmm. hydration of all things. But that's <laughs> that's kind of crazy. Well, I'm glad you had a good time at the candy store. Uh, I'm sure Heinz on his uh, retirement vacation is going to want to stop there. too. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and that's who we're talking about. We're talking about Gabriel Heinze of Atlanta United or formerly of Atlanta United. Uh, he got fired this past week, and we're kind of dissecting, doing an autopsy on his his time with Atlanta United, what's going on with Atlanta United, what went wrong for them, because they have not been having a great season, Jack. I, can you agree with that? They're not doing too good. Not just this past, like, not just this season, but the season before as well. Yes. But that's not really Heinz's fault, but it shows that maybe, and we'll get into it, Maybe it's more than Heinze It's behind Atlanta United's downfall. Ooh, I like it. I like it. So, yeah, we're going to talk about Atlanta United uh, this episode. Go into the what, what exactly happened with Heinze's firing, what went wrong with the club, and what improvements can be done to get Atlanta United out of this rut that they're in. So, really, it's like it's two Minnesota United fans telling Atlanta United what they need to do. So definitely take our advice on it. We have some input from Atlanta United fans at the end as well. So you want to stick around for that. So yeah, let's get into it. Gabriel Heinze has just been fired from Atlanta United after a one nil loss to New England this past week. At the time of recording, we know that they just tied one to one with FC Cincinnati for their first game without uh, Heinze. And he was in charge for seven months. Atlanta from the time that he got fired going back, he, they haven't won in two months. They haven't scored a goal in open play in five games, and they're currently still not in the playoff spots. Their top scorer has only scored three goals. They've scored the third least goals in the league, and they're 27th in big chances created. Obviously, this is a trend of some bad attacking uh, trends in general. So what exactly has transpired uh, at face value? Well, Jack, do you, do you remember Frank DeBoer, right? We, we all love him, right? Oh, we're, we're such big fans of his, you know. He's fantastic. Yeah. Yes, and he, he definitely deserves 
or he deserved, I suppose, because he got fired there too. The, the Dutch national team job. Yeah, well, of course. For all MLS fans who maybe are f- trying to forget Frank DeBoer's time with Atlanta United, he actually, you know, was pretty okay, bearable for the first season, the 2019 season. He won two trophies with them. Uh, the U.S. Open Cup and the Campionas Cup, which was the the Super Cup competition between uh, Atlanta United, the MLS Cup champions, and I'm forgetting who they played, the League MX champions. Uh, but he had a really bad start to the 2020 season, and he got fired after three straight losses in the MLS is back tournament. And he got hated on because he played conservatively, because his Dutch style of soccer was so different from the South American fluid, attacking, super aggressive side. Uh, that Tata Martino brought on. Tata Martino obviously being the first Atlanta United head coach, won the MLS Cup with them. So the front office went with this guy, Gabriel Heinze, who promised to bring back that attacking spirit and brought in some high potential young South American players like Santiago Sosa, Franco Ibarra, Alan Franco. And he came and he went. And earlier this week, Club president Darren Eels and technical director Carlos Bocanegra announced he was let go after some very, very dire results the past couple of months. So, Jack, I guess the first point of discussion, what exactly went wrong to lead him to getting fired in such an unsanctimonious way? Well, there's a lot. And I mean, (laughs) first of all, let's talk about what was what we alluded to at the beginning. There were a lot of things that were troublesome in day-to-day management of the team. For one, there's reports that said that he restricted the amount of water that players were given uh, during training sessions, which I don't think there's any sports signs to support withholding water. But I I actually uh, found a quote from, I don't know if it was him or whatever, but apparently he was doing it because he wanted to... uh, uh, simulate real game activity, I suppose, by you know, because there's not going to be a hydration break, uh, whenever you want. There's only going to be a hydration break every every like twenty minutes if it's really hot. So he was trying to simulate that, get them ready to not be able to drink water. I suppose that th- that was his rationale, at least. I'm not sure if it if that's a great rationale. But I don't you know think what? it is it, either. It, it's a rationale, I suppose, but. Uh, beyond that, he also supposedly didn't give his team mandated break days, as uh, reported by uh, the MLS Players Association, it seems, or at least they were fined because they didn't give them their eight days off every eight weeks, I believe is the mm-hmm. is the rule. Uh, so that wasn't given. And I don't remember which source I saw this from, but apparently after a late night game where they got back at around 3 a.m., he informed them that they would be back in training at 8 a.m. the next day, not giving them any time to recover from a match. So seems like a lot of day to day management was an issue. And that is what the club's press release claims, that it wasn't a, res- a matter of the results on the field, but on that day to day management. However, I don't think you can ignore the results on the field at the same time, because, you know, he has the record, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, for the most uh, for the longest winless streak for Atlanta United, it was eight games, I believe. Uh, and it didn't look like it was getting any better yeah. after that one zero loss to the new England revolution. The revolution are a good team, but you know, Atlanta should be competing up there with them. Really? 
Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think that kind of was the end of the line with it, you know, trying to justify those bad results in addition to those. And of course, we have to talk about one other situation more recently, and that's about Star Striker and Star Player, really. Pretty much the player for Atlanta United for the past Mm -hmm. however many years, three, four years, however long he's been there, Joseph Martinez. He was basically frozen out of first team training after he contracted COVID before the Copa America and there and still had some health problems afterwards, apparently some heart issues. He was cleared by the team doctors, but was still made by Gabriel Heinze to train by himself, which did not sit right with a lot of the club's fans, especially. And yeah, it, it seems like, you know, when you freeze out your star player, you're going to risk getting a lot of blowback from the press, from fans, front office. And to be fair, Heinze didn't seem too concerned with the front office. In one of his last <laughs> interviews, he said, I don't really care if the front, if uh, I don't think the front office needs to approve of me to, for me to keep my job. And uh, that was about it. I, that, that's, that's what really went wrong with Heinze, at least this season. That, that that's this season. Of course, there are some other issues that we'll we'll probably talk about, but that that's this season. AJ, anything else you want to fill in with on that? Yeah, uh, going through kind of what you said, I I think the 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 overtraining bit is something that's very frightening. I would say when you're looking at a head coach, and he he's been known to do this. He he's been known from his previous clubs. I, I think uh, in in South America to control the club with an iron fist he would control the diets of different players uh the the training regiments of the different players just from the ground up he wants to be in control to a certain point that's good but once you get beyond that point and uh like reports have come out uh from previous clubs he didn't allow anybody from the sporting uh, or the the front office or any upper management to enter the locker room, to be a part of anything. He wanted to be in control. And that has hurt a lot of these players because of how regimented his, uh, his view on how soccer should be played is. Like you have so many injured players because he's been overworking them, controlling what they can do. Mo Adams, Alan Franco, Ezekiel Barco, Joseph Martinez, uh, uh, Emerson Hindman, like and more. In fact, Emerson Hindman went to say that they they broke him. They're killing the guys with two practices a day. They haven't given us a day off in weeks. Like it, and that's straight from a player's mouth. The fact that he's overworking them, I think, plays a huge role in losing the locker room and losing the trust of the front office. Uh, the only thing I want to add, other than you know Joseph Martinez, if you lose him, you lose the locker room. He's like. I feel like a lot of the young guys do look up to him. But the the one thing I did want to add was something that I think is a little bit understated with how everything is playing out is his relationship with the front office. You kind of alluded to it with him uh, on his like penultimate day saying, you know, I I don't need the approval of the, the front office. Well, he's kind of been doing this for his entire career. And it's kind of hard to, work with him uh so often he would not work well with upper management and especially media he refused to talk to media for a very long time and that's very hard when 
part of being a head coach, part of leading a club is kind of doing a little PR for your club. Of course, you're not going to lose the fans. You're going to lose the locker room if you refuse to talk about the issues with your club. Talk about Joseph Martinez in depth with the media. I feel like if he talked to them, this wouldn't be as a big of a deal. And yeah, I mean, a part of the role of a head coach is to be the front face of the team. And uh, I, I think actually uh, Darren Eels and Carlos Bocanegra, two of the, the front office people we will be talking about, said that that was also a, a big concern for, for them was how how cold he was to the media, how cold he was to them and not communicating with them. Even even if like the 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 relationship was professional, it still wasn't at the place where it needed to be to be successful. I suppose you can say. Uh, Jack, do you have anything with uh, Heinz specifically that went wrong that you can look at? I mean, I think you covered it. The pretty much just those intense standards and pretty much destructive behaviors, almost self-destructive, really. You know the players kind of got disincentivized almost to perform because, you know, they, they physically couldn't do anything more. And, you know, I, I think, it, I think he kind of created the uh-huh. perfect storm to destroy Atlanta United, wow. like pretty, pretty much everything that could have gone wrong kind of accelerated, <laughs> you know, the, the, the fact that like, you know, a lot of their best players had to be, moved on because of financial problems and like uh that that was only accelerated because of the overworking more injuries less depth Mm -hmm. meant you know you you get you get worse results on the field and yeah everything just kind of came together and just just overwhelmed them yeah it's kind of dramatic how you put it but I, i definitely agree like especially when you look at the injuries i mean just this game they had to play uh, two of their academy guys, Jackson Conway, matchup Chole, who I, I think they're two very good players. But obviously, you're not going to want to play those guys if you can have a very healthy Joseph Martinez, if you have a very healthy Moreno or well, Moreno's there, but uh, some other uh, winger there that could take the place of Conway. And I, I do have to say before we move on that the the overworking bit, the the water bit, it is just alleged there have been reports from his camp from some players themselves saying that that was a little bit over exaggerated that him you know keeping water away from the players might have been a little overblown and a a part of that to i guess back that statement up is the fact that apparently the players went to his house to say goodbye to him and a lot of the players at least respect him. I have a quote from Brooks, Brooks Lennon, who is a, a pretty prominent player on the squad, saying, quote, I have nothing but respect for Gabriel and his staff. I thought he came in and showed passion and leadership and great preparation in the way he weighed about things. He gave me a lot of responsibilities on this team, and he believed in me as a player. I have nothing but respect for Gabi. I wish him and his entire staff nothing but success moving forward. So it's not like everyone hated him. So, I don't know, maybe it's not as black and white as people want to paint it as. So, I would say, and moving on to the next point, it wasn't all his fault. 
How about that? It, it wasn't all Heinza's fault. Heinza is Heinza. I feel like people should have known who he was. At least the people hiring him should have known who he was. So, Jack, why don't you take it away with maybe some other behind-the-scenes reasons why his tenure didn't turn out too hot. Well, you've got to go back a little bit on this one because it's been with the front office for a while and actually goes back to their MLS Cup win, really. You know, uh, the front office has not been fantastic for the past few years for them, which is kind of emphasized by the fact, like, uh, you know, in the last match, I think it's kind of an iconic image that people have that people have seen a man in a Joseph Martinez jersey with a bag over his head that says <laughs> yeah. free Joseph Bocanegra out. It doesn't say Heinz out, which is what you would expect if, you know, they thought it was Heinz's fault. But the fans mm. clearly see, you know, it's not just Heinz. It's the front office. Carlos Bocanegra is yeah. part of that. And, you know, that th- I, I, I did some research into this and found a little bit of information about it. And apparently, you know, you know, he, he did help create a squad that won an MLS Cup. I've, I've got to give him credit for that. And in their first year competing in MLS, too, is, is, that, is, that, is that wrong? I could be wrong at that. But uh, it, when he, they won MLS Cup their second season, second, they, were, right. they were one of the, the first, uh, not first, they were one of the only MLS teams, expansion teams, to make the playoffs their, their inaugural season. Very good. I would say a lot of that is Tata Martino, but right, yes, of course, yeah. Bocanegra in the front office obviously had a good part in that as well. Yeah, but you know, at what cost did that squad win an MLS Cup? So, according to attendees of a 2020 virtual season ticket holder town hall, all right, all Bocanegra right. revealed that they used basically all of Atlanta's budget and financial resources in 2018 to win the cup because they felt that they could, and that pushed. A lot of finances away from further years out and eventually led to a lot of financial strain, especially in 2020, because if you remember in that offseason, Atlanta offloaded Hector Villalba, Villalba, oh, Villalba <laughs> I'm, I'm going to I butchered that already. Leandro <laughs> Gonzalez, Perez, Darlington Nagby, Nagby, who he of course, know as an amazing player for Columbus Crew now, mm-hmm. and Julian Gressel, who's been pretty good for DC United, or was at least that 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 past season. I haven't heard much from him this past season, but uh, still, in in 2019, these four players were paid 2.4 million. But with the wages at those players at new MLS clubs, it looks like that they would have cost as much as 4.2 million. So Atlanta United wasn't willing to pay up because they physically couldn't because they pushed all of their finances into that 2018 year, and they had to make sacrifices. And that was a big reason why Frank DeBoer really couldn't succeed or replicate 2019. He didn't have the squad or the resources to do it. He just didn't have the players that really helped him. Darlington Nagby kind of bosses midfield wherever he goes. And without that, you're, you're missing a major part of your, of your team. And the players who, that they brought in to replace them often for a lot more expensive fees, just couldn't do it. The, like, the four that they offloaded are producing fantastic numbers for their clubs and something that Atlanta could desperately need. And, you know, while an MLS Cup is nice, financial stability is also quite good. And yes, they clearly yes. didn't have that when they went through all of this. And, you know, even the front office is like, yeah, we made a mistake uh, in, that, in that first <laughs> year. That's how you know 
it's bad. If they're if they're like in full crisis mode saying, yeah, we messed up because if you follow any corporations, you know, if if the if the front office or the or the top is admitting they did something wrong, you know, it's pretty bad. So I, I think that's a that's a big part of it. But AJ, what what else am I missing with the front office? Well, I, I just kind of wanted to highlight something that you said, which is the offloading the players. I have a tweet here from Tom Bogert uh, saying Atlanta United since winning MLS Cup in 2018 and kind of showed the progression of their players and personnel since winning the MLS Cup back three years ago. Head coaches that went from Tata Martino, who is is or one of the most influential slash successful slash best on paper head coaches in MLS ever to Frank DeBoer to Gabriel Heinze. <laughs> then they went from Miguel Almiron, the still record transfer fee uh, from an MLS uh, team, still holds that, to Pitti Martinez to Marcelino, then uh, Tito Villalba to Jurgen Dom, Julian Gressel to Brooks Lennon, Michael Parkhurst slash LGP to Alan Franco, and now Darlington Nagby to Emerson Hindman. Across the board, those key players have all seen downgrades. There's only a couple of spots where you can see, oh yeah, they've always stayed consistent. They've had the same player either there or they've had similar uh, success there. You can look at, I don't know, uh, whoever their center back was moving on to Miles Robinson. I feel like he's still good. Joseph Martinez is obviously still there. Brad Guzan, for better or for worse, is still there. So, But overall, those other spots have seen insane downgrades. To the point where I think if you ask any Atlanta United fan now, I think for any one of them would take the old guys over the new guys, especially when you look at Gressel, Nagby, Almiron, obviously like it's it's been almost a cliff, the fall off, you know, it's it's crazy. But uh, Jack, is there anything else before I talk a little bit about Boca Negra that you wanted to add about his uh? Uh, the finances, I suppose, because I, I got some stuff about his uh, player acquisition record. I mean, I'll let you take that. I, I have a, I have a little bit on that, but I'm I'm more of a finance guy. So you can you all can right, take that right. stuff. I, I love hearing about the finances. I didn't even know that. That's a, that's some very dig deep thing you did there. So, yeah, great job. <laughs> uh, Jack, I have a question for you before uh, I, I kind of get into it, because this is all kind right. of a. Uh, it's kind of a lead in here. Jack, did you know that? Marcelo Bielsa was on track to be the first Atlanta United head coach. I did hear about that. Yeah. 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 I, I'm forgetting uh, who wrote this. I said, believe it, Cardenas is the, the athletic. He, he had a huge, huge uh, head coach, uh, head coach slash front office deep dive on Atlanta United a while back. If it's not him, I, I'll, I'll put in a, a voiceover of me saying the, the report because I definitely want to get this right. Trust your instincts. It was Felipe Cardenas. All right, back to the show. All right. Uh, so Marcelo Bielsa was on track to be the first Atlanta United head coach. He thought the idea of building a team from the ground up and controlling the acquisitions and building uh, the team with the player sales all in mind was pretty interesting. However, the vice president slash technical director, Carlos Bocanegra, U.S. men's national team legend, did not like that. 
So Bocanegra, obviously a, a legendary defender for the U.S. men's national team. He was joined also with uh, a Darren Eels, who is the president of Atlanta United. They are kind of the face and the most powerful uh, people in the Atlanta front office. But before Atlanta United, Bocanegra had no such knowledge or experience leading the sporting side of a football club. And Boca, from the outset of Atlanta United's uh, beginning of being a club, has wanted to control this team. He has been pivotal, you know, for better or for worse, with the acquiring and offloading of the players. Obviously, sometimes it's worked out. Joseph Martinez, Miguel Almiron. But for every star like Almiron, you have duds like Barco or Pitti Martinez. Boca wanted to be the guy. And in this huge, huge article, it, it, it was basically just a, a Boca hit piece almost. He wanted to attend every video session with Tata, direct Tata whether or not to bench a player or not. There's actually a story saying that Boca went to Tata Martino and said, hey, you need to bench Miguel Almiron. He just came off an injury. And in the offseason, we think that we can sell him for the MLS record transfer fee. But Tato was like, hey, screw you. The medical team literally said that he is fit enough to play. I'm playing him because I want to win. And so, you know, Boca and Tata always butt heads because that's what that's Boca Negro has always wanted to do with this team. Control it, like form it and morph it in his image, I suppose you could say. And so when that relationship hit a boiling point, Tata was let go. They hired DeBoer, who did well at Ajax, but of course did terribly, terribly, terribly at Crystal Palace and Inter Milan. And unlike Tata, DeBoer had so little control of the roster that there would be times when players would come and go and he'd have no idea because he didn't understand the contract situations. He didn't understand like some of the MLS rules. Julian Gressel, one of Atlanta's best players, was traded and he had no idea that he was about to be traded. And so that was because Boca Negra wanted to be the one in control. He had all of the control and Deborah was constantly left in the dark. In fact, you can probably pin most of the player acquisitions in some part to be due to Carlos Bocanegra pulling the strings with or without the head coach's consent. And so that is where a lot of the vitriol and anger comes from when these fans are protesting in the club. It's specifically towards Bocanegra and his control over all of these different aspects of the team that people don't think he should be uh, controlling. And so... A lot of the blame for Tata Martino, the best head coach Atlanta United has ever had leaving, comes down to Boca Negra kind of having an ego about himself and wanting to be the man in charge. Jack, is there anything else on Eels or Boca Negra player acquisition wise that you want to touch on? I mean, not really. You, you pretty much hit uh, it all. You, you pretty much hit it all. Like, I mean, I got to stop doing that. They, they, off, they offloaded all the best players because, you know, the profit was there. They wanted to control. And mm -hmm. it, it cost them not just financially, really, but it cost them in fan support. It cost them in results. It cost them in trust, really. That's that that's what it did. And, you know, that that's, I think, one of the main things that 
that that's been destroyed in Atlanta United that's going to take the longest to fix, which is trust. Like it's kind of it's been damaged between the fans in the front office, the front office and teams slash potential coaching opportunities. Like, you know, how many coaches want to come into this environment, right? Mm-hmm. Where where the front office wants pretty much, like you said, complete control over the roster and over transfers, over acquisitions. So, yeah, yeah. Well, my question, and I guess it's going into how do we fix Atlanta United is. Is Boca Negra or potentially Eels leaving a necessary component to fixing this Atlanta United team? Like, do we have to say goodbye to Boca Negra or can the relationship be mended with him still at the helm? What do you think? I'm not sure if it really can. And okay, the reason why is because I just think like the culture of Atlanta United as a club has been to to say it to say it most simply toxic that that's what it's mm-hmm. been uh like the the coaching situation has been terrible the trust like i said violated between pretty much every single channel uh you know it, it's it you can you can see like the change a little bit by uh when heinze left like joseph's interviews post heinze or yeah. interview i should say he hasn't had multiple you know, it's it's clear there was an a, a slight attitude shift in the culture of the club. But, you know, why were Atlanta so good in the beginning? They were a tight knit club with a squad that trusted each other and their and their coach. They had trust in him, too. So that that trust has been destroyed by front of the front office making bad decisions, whether it's with player sales, player acquisitions, coaching hiring hirings uh, or maybe even coaching firings, whatever it is. The trust was destroyed. And that's going to take a while to fix it back up. Clearly, it's not irreparable because Joseph Martinez is his interview. You know, he says that he wants to retire at the club. Clearly, the trust hasn't been broken irreparably. But you, you've you got it no matter what. Get rid of maybe Bocanegra leaving is a good thing because mm-hmm. it might open it up where you'll get a coach that, you know, is is going to get have an understanding of the league is going to have control over the roster, over over the day-to-day operations of the team, over the over acquisitions. And then you can build a team, unite them together and, you know, build a squad maybe that's that's built on toughness, but also with compassion and understanding. You 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 need to do that. If you don't do that, you're done if you're Atlanta United. Right. The the squad's in my opinion on the brink of irreparable damage. And if you get a yeah. third coach wrong in a row, <laughs> You you're not losing just the trust of your players, but your fan base as well. Mm-hmm. And and there you can already see there's a little bit of loss of trust already in that. And you don't want to end see Atlanta end up like, you know, I I like them as a club, but Chicago Fire. Let's that that's that's kind of what's right. happened up there. And you see what happens. Stadium to, uh, stadiums no longer full. You know the results go down as a result of that of the stadium not being full, not getting an atmosphere, not having the fans backing you. Mm-hmm. It all spirals downhill quickly. So I, I think Bocanegra should leave and they they need to hire someone who understands like, you know, it's OK to like have like some control over it. But if you're if your aim is total control, you shouldn't be in the front office, really. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely not. Right. And, and I think that that trust bit is so, so important 
And that's kind of what we're seeing with the interim head coach, Rob Valentino, right now. He had some media availability this past week, which is very rare after Heinzo did, did not do that for the past couple of months. But yeah. he was saying like, hey, we're dealing with humans. Our goal for the next couple of weeks, next couple of matches is to bring hope to this fan base, like bring happiness to the players. Like the fact that he's like that, that strong into that point tells you a lot about what has been missing these past couple of years, whether it's DeBoer and his like style of play that just did not gel with the South American stars like Pitti Martinez or Joseph Martinez and Heinz's kind of general attitude, like milit militant attitude with how the club should be run, right? Th there needs to be a, an amount of trust towards the front office and to the management and I'm, I'm I am right there with you. I should I just strongly do not believe that Boca Negra should be with this club. It sounds like he wants to be a head coach. If I'm being honest, it sounds yeah. like he wants to be a head coach somewhere. I don't know. Like if you want to control that much, if you want to be on the sidelines talking tactics, become a head coach because that's not going to fly here. And I think even if it's not like total control that he wants to uh, take over, I, that, that, that to me might not even be the worst part about him. I think the worst part about him is just how wrong he's gotten these hires and not just like head coaches, but like these players, like there, there have been some stinkers. <laughs> like the fact that I think Tata Martino was even like, Hey, we probably shouldn't be spending $15 million on Ezekiel Barco, who is kind of unproven. And then the front office and Bocanegra is like, no, he's the next Almiron. We got to get him. And that obviously has turned out terribly and now they have a kind of a, a dead roster spot just just waiting to be voided that's a huge indictment of his player acquisition ability and i don't think for a technical director that is good enough because if you're going to be swinging around a lot of money which hey arthur blank is rich atlanta falcons atlanta united both those teams super rich super great that that's fine like go throw around your money but if you have someone who's not spending that money wisely you gotta find a new guy who, who that new guy is i don't know because like i like off the top of my head there's only a few guys who in this league guys or girls i suppose who have the foresight and mls knowledge to really like take over a job this huge but I'm sure you can find somebody, right? Like, I don't know. Jack, do you have any ideas? Because I, I literally can't think of one who, other than like Garth Lagerway from Seattle Sounders, but there's no way you're taking him away from there. Yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure. I mean, you could do like, you know, the, the Chelsea route. And that, that's what I was thinking of when you were going through all of this. Because, you know, as a Chelsea fan, I, I know a lot more about them than any other yeah. club. But like, you know, they've got a, real, a really rich owner. But their technical advisor, one of them, I mean, he's not the main technical advisor, but Petr Cech, you know, getting like a great player to come in and kind of be like that kind of ambassador for your club yeah. and get those transfers right. Someone who actually knows the game and like, I mean, sure, Bocanegra knows the game, of course, but <laughs> but like getting getting someone like that, maybe. But yeah, you're right. There's not really anyone with experience.
that you, that you can call on and prying away someone like that if they're if they're a good like a uh, technical director they're they're not going to be on the on the street waiting for a job so i mean that's that's mm-hmm. that's the main thing so i don't know who could replace him but yeah. i feel like it's kind of a necessary thing it that has to happen because mm-hmm. I, I think if you look at it right i also really don't know who they can replace him with like i guess you can go internal with mls get someone else or i i know a lot of clubs have tried to go external uh with someone outside of the league or even someone outside of the sporting world to be like the gm technical director that oftentimes can be a so-so result but overall i just don't think I don't. I, I just don't think you're gonna unlock Atlanta United's potential from here on out with Boca Negra. Like, sure, they could be good. Sure, they can make the playoffs. Sure, they can even challenge for some trophies. But at the end of the day, like, even if they win a U.S. Open Cup next year, like, undoubtedly their potential is gr- going to be greater than that. Like, they they should have the ability to fight in the near future for a lot of different trophies be a perennial title contender and i think bocanegra is going to limit that but beyond bocanegra obviously they need a new head coach so when we're talking about how to fix atlanta united jack does getting a a, a new head coach right away fit the bill in terms of solving this issue or do you think they should wait a little bit after the season like what is the timeline in your mind that Bocanegra and the crew need to do. Listen, see, here's the thing. I, I've been in a situation where I've, I've worked with some toxic organizations. I'm not going to lie. It, it, it's okay. happened. Ooh, it, we're getting some tea here. All right. It's happened before. And the, the worst thing that I think you could do is get someone right away. You've got to repair okay. that trust from within. And I, it's, it, it's Rob Valentino, right? I'm not, I'm not putting mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. He seems like a solid guy who can do that from inside. The players seem to trust him. He seems mm-hmm. to have the trust of the front office, at least. Otherwise he wouldn't be given the interim head coach position at least. But like I said, if you get the th- a third coach run in a row, you're done. You, you've you, like three strikes and you're out. I know it's, I know it's not baseball, but still, I, th- I think yeah. it applies here. You've lost, you'll lose the trust of your players, your fan base. You become a sleeping giant, really, that has a lot of potential, but isn't able to unlock it because of all of the bad decisions. Like they could, they could reverse it by getting an amazing coaching hire that really works. They could, but I don't think they should rush into anything because I think that's the worst thing they can really do to rush into something that could end up being terrible. I think they need to take their time do some research, mm-hmm. find a coach that has a style that works with the club, not just not just like, uh, you know, going with the opposite of what the predecessor did, because that's kind of what they did with DeBoer to Heinze. That's yeah, really exactly, what they went exactly. for. Find someone who fits the team and the culture of your team that like, uh, you know, someone who expe- who you expect to get good results, but also is able to maintain the trust of these players that that that's the main thing, because if you're going to get a manager who can't hold on to a dressing room, then you might as well just fold the club. You, you might as well. <laughs> Dang, it, it's, okay. I, that's, agree, that's, though, yeah. that's a bit dramatic, but you, you get what no, I mean. I agree. It, it's, yeah, you're right. It's, it, if you're not getting that kind of leader, it's, it's not going to work. And that's why I think you just can't rush into things. 
Mm-hmm. I, I definitely, definitely agree. I, I think this club just, like you mentioned, like needs a vision, needs to know where they're going, needs to know, uh, have, a, have a, a coach in mind that fits the style of play that they want to go towards. And I don't think you could do that over the course of a month, right? I think they need to do what, like what we're doing, except obviously like better than us, uh, do an autopsy on what went wrong what they want to be in the future and really think about what positions of need do we need to fulfill? What tactics does this uh, coach need to bring in order to fulfill uh, this team's potential? And I don't think you can do that within the course of a couple weeks, a couple months even. I think another big reason why they shouldn't get a new coach is I don't think there's a lot of great coaches that are available right now, if I'm being honest. like it, Unless you're going to buy out a, a coach's contract, which is very spendy, you might need to wait until like after the, the, the Argentinian or Brazilian leagues end later this year, wait till then, or wait until the hot seats in the Europe start you know, heating up and then some head coach gets fired. All right, let's get him and bring him over here come January. And I think the biggest reason why they shouldn't get a head coach, and I feel like this kind of ties into our last point, is if you're going to get rid of Boca Negra or you want to see him out, I don't think you should have him dictate the future of the club that way, yep. right? It's like, it, it's like entrusting someone who like, who 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 you know you're gonna lay off, right? Like like you're like, all right, employee, you're gonna get laid off in two weeks. But here's a huge project that's like a multi-million deal. Uh, work on that before you you head on out. Like, like if there's any inkling that Bocanegra could be leaving or any hope that he would, the hope for fans is that he's not the one deciding who the next head coach is. Like, period. I I, I think I think that would be a mistake to have him uh, choose the next head coach because that's going to dictate the future of this club and the identity of this club for uh, at least a couple of seasons. I don't know if they're going to fire the next head coach in a season and a half again. Oh, I don't boy. know. Uh, Jack, is there anything else that you would think that Atlanta United need to address if they want to improve this team? There is one thing and, okay. or actually it's kind of two things because I think, you know, while there's a lot of stuff organizationally coaching wise that have gone wrong, They've also got to fix the player situation because right, I was going to mention they, that. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. They, they have to get some new players for one. Get Joseph Martinez some creative support like mm-hmm. uh, get not Ezekiel Barco because he's clearly not the right <laughs> option. You, you need someone who can get in there and, you know, Joseph Martinez, great striker, but he can't finish chances that aren't there. So you mm-hmm. need to you need someone who's going to create them for you. So invest in a new playmaker this summer and provide some sort of service to him. And then as well, I, I, I know, I know you, you talked about him a little bit, but I think you've got to get someone to replace Brad Guzon. I I don't think Atlanta United should stick with him as their number one. He's been too liable with so many mistakes this, uh, so far this season. I think they should find someone else to, to go on with it. Like, uh, maybe keep him on as a third choice keeper. But I don't think he should be the number one for Atlanta. I think that needs to be someone else's job at this point. Uh, and then, you know, I, I mean, it's, it's kind of tough to because they got rid of a ton of players that are 
feel irreplaceable really like if if you look at them like uh darlington nagby that's like that that's almost irreplaceable it seems like but you've got to try and find like someone to kind of anchor down that midfield that defensive midfield mm-hmm. uh but they they've got to they've got to fix this player acquisition thing because but again like you said with the coaching do you want bocanegra to be in charge of that yeah that's that's the tricky part because you you kind of have to sort out the order of of these things like do you want what what's more important to Atlanta is it getting results this season or is it fixing the culture of the team because exactly exactly you, know, you could you could think short term and be like we we want results we can't miss out on the playoffs and sure do that uh and you you could do that and but you could be sacrificing the long-term stability of your club. But on the other hand, is it going to be too detrimental to miss out on the playoffs? That's, that's, that's kind of the thing, like uh, to potentially sacrifice that to fix the culture, because it's a tough job to do, to try and fix mm-hmm. the, the, uh, those environments where trust has been completely lost and all that. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's a trade-off. It, it definitely is. I think... Ooh, man, that's a very good point. I I never really thought about that, like the the short term versus long term, right? I I think even with the current squad they have, with a good interim coach, with that that uh that head coach firing bump that they're gonna get in form, I think that they do have the the talent necessary to make it to uh, the playoffs. However, I I don't think unless they bring in a lot of signings that they have the talent to make a deep run to the mls cup uh yeah without some serious reinforcements however even with those reinforcements i don't think that's going to be a surefire thing so i think you have to look long term if you're bocanegra or whoever and yeah i don't think that they should make any major like designated player signings until they a figure out the bocanegra situation I, if I'm a, if I was a betting man, I, I would think that he would stay, but especially without a head coach, because the head coach is going to be the one that really dictates the philosophy of this team without the head coach. And you if you make like a serious, serious player signing, you're just setting yourself for failure because who knows if that player is going to fit. Overall, I think. Like you said, a creative player, I think they need to get a, a, a better quality winger than uh, Jurgen Dom. I, I think he's not. He, he, he's great he's great he's always injured he's he's young but he's always injured he's he, he's he's not a great replacement for who they've had in the past i i think that that's the the main issue here but other than that other than that kind of glaring issue right there with and barco's also an issue there's still a lot of talent i mean you have moreno robinson bello sosa who you mentioned nagby i think sosa is a very good number six uh, Ibarra, Brooks Lennon, Martinez, Walks, many of whom have been unavailable due to injury or international break, but will soon be fit again. I think they're going to get a serious bump because of that. But of course, yeah, you don't want to buy players without a vision. So keep keep a, an eye on, you know, not making any major rash decisions. And you also have some youth players that they have. Jackson Conway, George Campbell, Matchup Schold. Jackson uh, Conway, I already mentioned him, but he was in the lineup for Atlanta United today. And I think the most important thing you can do with the players is really lean into Joseph Martinez. Win his trust, like you said. 
he's the one that said, quote, this is my club. This is my city. I love it here. I want to retire here. I love this club. He, I mean, he's your leading goal scorer, 79 goals. If you don't win his trust, if whoever your head coach is, your interim coach, doesn't build this team around him, you're going to lose the locker room. You're going to lose the fans, obviously. And you're ultimately going to lose trust with the front office and the team owner. And that's obviously something that's not great. Uh, I, I do have one last thing with the fi fixing Atlanta United thing. I have some solutions for their cap situation, Jack, if you want to hear this. Okay. Because okay. I, I know you're a finance guy, so I'm, I'm sure you'd love to hear about, of course, yeah. about this. Because Atlanta, crazily enough, um, maybe not crazily, they have the fourth highest wage bill in MLS this season. And currently, that's not going too hot for them, obviously. <laughs> Uh, so there's a lot of things that they can do to really free up some space in order to get some flexibility, get some more money in their pockets. So for next season or the seasons later in the long-term vision, they can set themselves up for success. So the, the first thing, number one, obviously, is getting rid of Barco. He is kind of, I wouldn't say bad, because obviously he's a good football player, but relative to his wages, he's the second earner the second highest earner in this team, uh, second only to Joseph Martinez, having a base salary of a million two hundred ninety thousand. There's a lot of room to improve there, relative to his skill level and his uh, salary. So getting rid of him, freeing up some space, is going to be huge. Buying down Alan Franco's contract. Alan Franco is the designated player that they bought this year. Is a center back. And he has a contract that can be bought down. You buy down that uh, contract so he is no longer a designated player. And you spend that on a, an actual attacker that can be good. Get that designated player spot to a number 10 or whatever. Trade Jurgen Diam for Tam. Nice little rhyme there. He's good, but he's the second, uh, the third actually highest earner. No, no, wow. He's the second uh, earning a guaranteed compensation of a million five hundred eighty-two thousand dollars to be injured a lot is not necessarily the greatest move for him so trade him uh release him or g get some money for him uh move on from brad guzan as well he is the sixth highest earner for atlanta united at 36 years old so not the best move i don't think he's also the best goalkeeper possible you can get him that you can get for his money get a young goalkeeper honestly like like, if we're not going to use him, Dane St. Clair, if we can get, like, a crap ton of money for him, I wouldn't be too opposed to see him move to Atlanta United. Uh, Atlanta United, uh, uh, call us up. Uh, move Miles Robinson if he wants to go to Europe. He's a very good center back who might be able to move to a, a good, good European team. So that obviously is a lot of money you can reinvest into the club. And I... I I wouldn't stand in his way because you're just going to lose him for free or for a lot cheaper later. So hit him while the iron is hot after he's had a pretty good gold cup. And lastly, the obvious uh, solution is lean into the youth some more. Uh, the youth is very cheap. I think like Conway and those guys are, yeah, Efrain Morales, Conway, Bauer, Chole, Wolf, Campbell, they're all like in the bottom tiers of their compensation of the, the salaries of the wage bill. So pretty cheap if, if you want to try to train them and get them developed to be some first teamers that'd be very good uh jack do we have any other things that we can fix before we talk about 
the final question should atlanta fans be optimistic anything else you'd like to add no i i i i i talked about the three things really player transfers uh bocanegra and trust that that that's about those are the main three things but yeah, I, I think I think you're right. Those are some good suggestions for what Atlanta United could do. Maybe you should replace Carlos Bocanegra. Maybe, 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 maybe I should. Maybe. Do you do you want uh, full control over uh, player transfers? Because if not, I think you're a perfect fit. <laughs> oh, heck yeah. Let's go. Let's go. All right. Yeah. Arthur Blank. I'll do it for. Hey, I don't, I don't know how much he was getting paid. I'll do it for half of that. In fact, I'll do it for a quarter of that. Wow. Give me so generous. Hey, Look at that. <laughs> pay my college tuition and i will go work for you i promise i promise you uh well jack the final question i guess and we have some twitter responses as well should atlanta fans be optimistic about the future uh simple as that jack what do you think Ooh, uh it it depends uh i think but i i think no. based off of the poll responses we should probably go over what we had like yeah, sure thing. we we had Yes, optimi- I'm optimistic. No, I'm not optimistic. And I'm cautiously optimistic. I'd say cautiously optimistic is the best one. Just because, you know, there are a lot of things that can go wrong with this. They could hire a head coach way too soon. They could mess up more player transfers. But there is still time for the club to improve and to fix what went wrong. So I think that you can be cautiously optimistic, especially with Joseph Martinez saying like, hey, this is my club. I want to stay here. That that's the exact kind of thing you want to hear, really, uh, if you're an Atlanta United fan. So I think cautiously optimistic is what I'd say. All right. All right. I, I would say in the short run, no. Even if they make the playoffs, <laughs> I don't think that's enough to make a run or reinstate their dynasty. You first have to make changes from the top down to improve in the long run. I think yes, and I think that's where a lot of people are cautiously optimistic because, hey, I think Atlanta United is still a very good team. If I haven't made that clear with how much I believe in their squad still, I think they have the tools to compete. It just takes some uh, cap retooling, some salary cap retooling, some movements in the front office. I guess that's a little hard to to really (laughs) hope for, but they're just like three or four movements away from being a playoff team. And being a very, very good playoff team as well. Uh, Twitter responses, we had a poll, like Jack said, where we asked if Atlanta United fans, if they're optimistic of their club's future. And like, J- like Jack said, we had the three responses. Uh, the result of that is pretty split down the middle, I think. And I guess it's pretty indicative of how fans as a whole think of this club. 33% said, yes, I'm optimistic. 26.7% said, no, I'm not optimistic. And 40%, the winner, said, I'm cautiously optimistic. So there are some people who don't believe, but there are a lot of people who at some level do at least kind of believe in this club's future. Uh, one of those people was uh, our friend Reed, who was on the podcast just last week. He said, I'm cautiously optimistic, but mostly because I tend to be an optimistic person. Fair, fair, Reed. In reality, though, the direction of the club is unknown and the fans are quickly losing trust in the front office if they haven't already. I'm sure we'll be back. Just not sure when. And I think that's very true. I think it's an if, a when, not if situation. They'll be back. 
Jack, do you have anything to add about Atlanta United before we wrap things up here? I mean, just trust. That's about it. Trust, trust in. Uh, that's what you need to to fix this. <sighs> that's that's such a good thesis statement that, that you've brought to know, this right? discussion, and yeah, it's so that. true. It's so true. Yeah, it, it's just it's just that uh, remembering some high school English, you know, just uh, got to get the thesis statement across, make the argument. We we, yeah. we know how it works, but. Yeah, I, I think that that's the, the main thing they need to do. They need to rebuild trust. And if you don't do that, you're building a house with a crumbling foundation and it will get destroyed eventually if you don't fix it. Yeah, that, that was very beautifully put. And I think I, I, I'm not going to add anything because that, that's a perfect <laughs> way to end it off. Jack, do you have do you want to tell the listeners where they can find us on the socials? Yeah, well, make sure to go to at Final Third Show on Twitter and Instagram, mostly though Twitter because we don't really use Instagram. On Twitter, yeah. you can find polls. You can watch AJ come up with plans for how he's going to stay up or watch the U.S. women's team. Uh, <laughs> you know, and at three thirty a.m. again. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so you you can you can find all of that. You can watch uh, my excitement when Chelsea finally signed Erling Holland. Fingers yeah. crossed. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, probably not, but. Uh, you can see my disappointment when we don't sign him and we ultimately uh, sign someone like Antoine Griezmann or who knows, like it's still a good so, player. What the heck? Are you I mean, joking? Yeah, but whatever. If we sign, if we sign like, I don't know, Chris Wood from Burnley, who knows? Right, there you go. There you, go. <laughs> <laughs> you can see my disappointment then either way. Follow us on there. Interact with us. Have fun. It's a great time. Yeah. And you can also see me on Twitter and you can see my excitement when West Ham signed any player at all, <laughs> any player, but yeah, you can also follow us on Spotify, Apple podcasts, Spreaker, whatever podcast platform you listen to us on, please, please, please leave us a rating and a review. You have no idea how much that helps. Tell a friend, especially a friend that's into Atlanta United about this podcast, your dad, if he's a diehard, uh, I don't know what Atlanta United fans are called. Uh, AT, sure <laughs> ATLians, that, that's how outcast, whatever. Tell your dad about this podcast. We'll see you guys next Monday for our news and predictions episode, and we'll see you guys next Thursday again, same time, same place for our deep dive episode. See ya. Bye for now.